0: If you have your copy of God's Word, uh, please open up to uh, the letter of James, uh, the letter of James. It's, it's near the end of your Bible. Um, you'll see Hebrews and then James. If you see the Peters, you've gone too far, uh, but uh, if you um, see Hebrews, you're not quite there yet. We're going to be in James chapter, uh, <coughs> excuse me, James chapter 3. And today marks the halfway point of our sermon series here in James. Um, I titled the series Faith in Real Life because that's essentially what James expounds upon and exhorts us to. It it is ground-level, nitty-gritty view of what it looks like to live a life of faith. And so far, James has helped us understand what faith looks like in two different avenues. The first he, he addressed in chapter one is how, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you deal with trials and temptations that come every single day in our lives? <clears throat> the second thing that he deal, uh, that he deals with is, and, it, and it, it goes throughout his entire letters. How do we live out this faith? What does it look like? And it's in this realm that James parks. He has put his change in the parking meter, and he has no indication that he is ready to, uh, to move his vehicle anytime soon. And as a blanket statement, James has told us that faith is not primarily exercised in the mind though that indeed is uh, a part of it and an element of it. But rather, James tells us that a genuine faith is played out in action. And as we have seen, salvation and faith are not the, the reward for doing good works or good actions, but rather good works or actions are the fruit. It is what naturally produces after trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And James tells us very specifically that if action has not been a part of our lives, then we have an obligation to examine whether or not our faith is truly genuine. And more specifically, James has been concerned with action in how we treat other people you recall in, in chapter 1 verse 27 that James said that pure religion true religion one that's undefiled in the sight of God our Father is one that that visits widows and orphans in their distress and keeps themselves unstained from the world and, and that translates into the fact that as Christians, We have the privilege and the duty uh, to be on the forefront for the care and protection of the most vulnerable in our community, widows, children, orphans, the disenfranchised, the the, the outcasts. And a few weeks ago in chapter uh, 2 verses 1 through 13, James taught us that true faith, real faith doesn't show favoritism, and it's this idea that we must recognize that every human being has been made in the image and likeness of God our Father, and thus is deserving of worth and dignity. Therefore, it is a sin to favor a rich person over someone who is poor, and vice versa. It is a sin to favor a poor person over a rich person. Racism in all its forms is a sin. Misogyny, and on the flip side, extreme feminism, is a sin against God. And in 119, James introduced the theme that he's going to work out a little bit in our passage today. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And in that lesson... (laughs) Every single one of us learned that we could be doing a much better job of doing what James and uh, essentially the Lord Jesus Christ tells us to in 119. And <clears throat> today our passage focuses on that. We're going to be in chapter three verses one through 12. And so let's read that uh, let's read this passage and then we'll get into uh, what it is that we Uh, need to see from the Lord Jesus today. This is James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body, Fresh water. Let's pray, Lord. Uh, the uh, The words that James wrote are difficult words for every one of us here. Every one of us needs to watch how we talk. And so, Father, would you now convict us by your Spirit, but lead us not into despair. Encourage us in the gospel that yet though we uh, though we fail, yet Christ is faithful to us. Let us see his glory for what he has done on our behalf. And it's in his great name that I ask this. Amen. So James is going to be instructive here on how we ought to be uh, slow to speak. And I think that we see uh, this in three ways. And the first is that... We need to understand what our words say about ourselves. Understand what your words say about you. uh, In his book, The Secret Life of Pronouns, there's a social psychologist uh, named James Pennebaker who has spent years researching uh, the significance of our words. And with a team of of grad students, he developed this sophisticated computer system uh, that analyzes what our words say about us. So based on his research, he ended up figuring out that uh, our words leave little what he calls fingerprints of our personality and, and, and who we are. Even small words, what he calls stealth words, like pronouns. Pronouns being uh, you, I, he, she, it, those uh, those type of things. And prepositions, which, you know, to, over, and, and for, those sorts of words. He says, broadcast the kind of people that we are to the world. As a simple illustration of this research, he analyzed typical tweets of some celebrities. He looked on Paris Hilton's uh, 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 Twitter uh, page and one day she wrote, Good morning, everyone. Have a fabulous day. X O X O Paris. John McCain, uh, this, was, this was a couple of years ago, uh, went, he wrote, Went to the mountains above Beirut yesterday to meet with Walid Jumbalat, the leader of the Druze. Fascinating experience. Oprah Winfrey, hanging with friends. Uh, Palm Martini's getting ready to watch Xmas special, 10 Eastern, 9 Central, going caroling afterwards. And Lady Gaga wrote this Time to drink a bottle of wine and sketch for the new tour. St. Louis was brilliant. There's an eyeliner on my knee and blood on my elbow. Shady. So uh, Pennebaker knows on one level that Paris Hilton is uh, simply just shouting out a greeting that John McCain is describing a meeting in Lebanon, which was a very important diplomatic meeting. Oprah Winfrey tells about her plans for the, the, uh, the evening, and that Lady Gaga wants us to know about her new tour. All of us would understand that. But in his analyzing, he ended up uh, figuring out that Hilton is relentlessly upbeat with the use of her exclamation points. John McCain works to impress his readers by talking about these big, high-level government meetings that he has. Oprah Winfrey, who is a consummate salesperson, drops what time the Christmas special is, which, by the way, it was her Christmas special. And uh, Lady Gaga conveys that she is a bit wild but also thoughtful, but by judging her use of pronouns, she may be prone to depression. Now, based on his research, He says that we don't randomly choose our words. Instead, words reveal the condition of our heart. And as Pennebaker says, words act like powerful tools that excavate people's thoughts, feelings, motivations, and connections with other people. Now, it's interesting that this secular social psychologist recognizes through research what Jesus had said 2,000 years ago. Uh, you, you'll recall that there's this relationship between our hearts and what comes out of our, our mouths. In Luke chapter 6, check this out what Jesus said. He said, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of, the tre- uh, out of evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of uh, the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks So our words, in other words, our speech, reveals what is truly going on in the epicenter of our lives. But there's also an element that what comes out of our mouths is what defiles us. Look what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7. He said, There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So because of this, James wants us to come to the reality that we don't think think about what we say much, because our words are essentially another way for us to display whose kingdom we belong to. Our speech can either be a testimony to the faithfulness, goodness, kindness, patience, wonderful benevolence of our God, or they can our hearts can display that uh, to the world that God is grouchy, temperamental, rude, overbearing, and perhaps hurtful. So let's dig into this. We're going to start in chapter two. And, uh, and, and go through uh, verse 5. Look with me in, in, sorry, chapter 3, verse 2, going through verse 5. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Now, James tells us that in in verse 2 that we all stumble in many ways. And I think that we would all sort of agree with that, that uh, we're all sinners and we all have different struggles. What I struggle with is... Maybe completely different than you, but I think if we are honest, every single one of us here would say that we struggle with something. But it is interesting that James is is not telling us this in order to assuage our guilt, but rather he is saying that because uh, we struggle in various ways, that it points to the fact that all these various issues in some way are related to the way we talk Notice again in verse 2, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man also able to bridle his whole body. So in other words, because our mouths are so tied to our hearts, the mouth is a driving factor of self-control in other areas of our lives. And he details this out with the Uh, use of a couple illustrations. As you look at the the letter of James, you see he's a master illustrator. Helps us understand. Look, if you look in verse 3, it says, if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their bodies as well. So a bit is, it's typically this little metal bar that goes in the mouth of a horse. It's connected to this thing called a uh, connected to a bridle. And it is those things that when the, when the reins are on, they can guide the horse in any direction that the rider wants to go. And James is saying that our speech is like a bit. It will drive us, it will challenge us to wherever we, uh, wherever we are going. And if we are speaking in ways that aren't wholesome, jokes, insults, impatience, and lacking kindness. That then is going to trickle down in one way or another to the rest of our spiritual lives. And he gives he, he likens it to a ship with a rudder. Now a rudder is a, it's a tiny flap on the bottom of a, of a boat. A, a larger ship. And, and compared with the rest of the ship, it's fairly small. One little motion from the pilot, the, the, the captain, the pilot, whatever you want to call him. He can turn this massive ship from this tiny ruddle, uh, rudder. Daniel Doriani, in his commentary, wrote this. He said, During World War II, the mightiest German battleship, the Bismarck, sank because its rudder failed. Germany had launched the Bismarck to attack Allied shipping. When the British Navy intercepted it, the Bismarck sank the hood, which is the, the pride of Britain's Navy, in less than 10 minutes. The British put everything into a counterattack while the Bismarck, lightly damaged, steamed to the harbor. But one tiny plane dropped a torpedo that struck and irreparably damaged the Bismarck's rudder. The Bismarck could only go in circles. So within hours, dozens of ships and planes brought all their firepower against that one ship until it sank. Rudders on a ship are very important. Spiritual rudders, metaphorical rudders, are also very crucial. A CEO that is misdirected can wreak havoc on a corporation. A heedless pastor can decimate a church. It is very difficult, but we can and we must control our tongues, for it is the rudder of our lives. Think about those two metaphors. Two very small things. And what is the tongue? It's just a wet muscle if you think about it. Yet in verse 5, James tells us this. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a fire. And James as the master illustrator here. He gives this, this metaphor of a fire, and it seems logical to me that James is using this metaphor really in, in two senses. The first is, uh, on the one hand, he uses it to illustrate how our speech affects others. That's going to be our second point here. But also, uh, James is saying that our lives are sort of like a forest, that uh, our tongues can act as sort of this match that can light this huge fire in a matter of, of moments. And how many forest fires have there been found to have been started because someone did something stupid with a a small little lighter or a small little match when the ground is very, very dry? So let's put this in practical terms. If you had an audio recorder on your person every single day for a week, during the times that you're awake, and after that week, someone were to analyze the things that you had said throughout that week, would they honestly conclude that God is gracious, that he is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, that Jesus is your treasure, and it's shown in how you talk to people and about people? Or would they conclude that you have a tongue of verbal fire? Verse 6. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the course of life. I don't want you to miss the seriousness of what James is saying here. The way that you talk has the potential of morally staining your entire life. James says that it sets the course of your life, it sets the tone. If we want to live an authentic faith, one crucial step is towards self realization we must look realistically at what our speech says about us. There's a second thing that, that I think James wants us to understand this morning, and that is that we need to examine how our words affect other people. Examine how your words affect other people. Let's look again at verse 5 through 10. So also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers, and the word here means brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. So last Friday I spent, uh, I spent the, uh, a good portion of my day uh, with, on a field trip uh, with fourth graders. And uh, I was specifically with five fourth-grade boys at uh, Forts Fole, Avon in Danbury, Wisconsin, on, a, on this field trip, and it's this historical place where they have all these different stations from the, the fur trade area, and it, w- it was super cool because the people that were working there dressed the part, they lived like the part, they, they taught the kids, and, and me as well, how life was, was lived back then. And there were some really cool things that, that we got to learn. Blacksmiths and, and how school was done and all that. But uh, one of the coolest things to me anyway was to see how this guy uh, created uh, fire and, and the way that they did it back then. He took this flint rock, and I wish that I had a, a flint rock, so I'll just use this book down here as a flint rock. And he had a, uh, a little coal, uh, this little coal sheet that was underneath it. And he had this metal uh, sort of like one of these little hook things, and he was just striking the rock and waiting for sparks to, uh, to come onto that little uh, piece of coal paper. And soon enough, there was this teeny tiny little speck that was on that, uh, that coal paper. And I remember looking at it and saying, yeah, right. It's cold, it's wet, and it's windy out here. You expect that little thing to make a huge fire? Well, then he reached into his little bucket of goodies and he pulled out these tree shavings, which sort of are like kindling, put it in the palm of his hand, cupped his hand, and started blowing into it. Sure enough... He had this big blaze in the palm of his hand. I mean, this was a real dude right here. This thing, this big blaze. And then he takes it and he throws it into the the fire pit there. And within a minute, there's this fire that is just blazing going on there. It was really, really welcome fire because we were cold and we were wet. But while the fire was welcoming that afternoon, James tells us, that, uh, that we have the power to start a fire, uh, not just within ourselves, but we have the, pi- the power of our words to affect other people. And this kind of fire isn't always welcome. Look again in verse 6. The tongue is a fire world of unrighteousness it's set among our members standing the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell now notice the relation the outward focus of verse six i love fantasy tales tales where there are things that involve ogres and elves and dwarves and all that kind of stuff and also stories that involve dragons. And when you think of a dragon, you think of a a big reptile-looking thing that can fly and breathe fire. And in all these stories, dragons that show up in the towns uh, that they do, people need to start getting out of Dodge because they are going to be burned up by the very breath of this dragon. You and I have the tendency... And have the power to be spiritual dragons. When we use our words for gossip, for slander, or maybe false accusations without knowing the facts. Maybe ridicule. Maybe jokes about people to their face or not to their face. Maybe saying mean things. Things that generally are negative. Those little nitpicky things that we might say on instinct. We have the power to consume them with, our, with, our, with the fire of, of verbosity that we do, destroying them. Again, in James 1.19, James tells us to be slow to speak and quick to listen, yet that is not how very many of us operate. I'll bet that every single one of us can recall a time when we've been burned by somebody else and what they have said. The careless word that that parent may have said all those years ago that completely changed your perspective on, on life. Or think about that person in school who maybe bullied you through their words. You know, there's that old adage that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But anyone that has ever been insulted by someone knows that that proverb isn't true. words hurt. We know this when it comes at us, but we often don't think about it when we direct it at others. Words are so powerful that I can remember being in the fifth grade when I witnessed someone crushed by words so badly that it affects me even today. Uh, I had this friend whose, whose name was Sean, and he lived up to his reputation of being a troublemaker, And there was this other kid named Ted in our grade. And, you know, to be honest, uh, Ted was, was probably on the lower rungs of the cool ladder. He was a nice kid, but he had all the traits of being an easy target for bullies. And in the middle of the year, Ted's father passed away suddenly. And instead of consoling him, Sean walked up to him. And I can remember exactly where we were. I can remember exactly what lockers we were at. And Sean said, Hey, Ted. We had a party on the day that your dad died. And I was 11 years old, and I remember thinking... How cruel. How cruel for someone like that to say that. And I'm ashamed to say today that I didn't have the guts to stand up for for Ted. I was 26 years ago and I remember it like it was yesterday. I don't know what possessed Sean to say that to Ted. I can only imagine what was in his heart and his life to even be able to utter something so cruel. And I wish that I could say that since that event, I've never said anything careless or rude or presumptuous or negative about anyone else, but I can't say that. The tongue is so powerful. Look in verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can be tamed by the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. Now, skeptics have taken this verse to say, come on, we haven't tamed every single animal, therefore we can just discredit the entire Bible. Well, I think that's an unfair argument because we have to make room for some hyperbole here, a gross exaggeration to prove a point. Barnum and Bailey closed up shop a few years ago, but if you would have gone to some of their shows, you could have seen James's point here. Elephants and tigers and bears and all these sorts of animals that are doing incredible stuff. Francis Chan in our Sunday school uh, lesson this morning had talked about going to SeaWorld and how they have tamed or trained these giant killer whales to do these shows. And for us who bear the name of Uh, The Lord, we know that this point here is to show us that though these animals have been tamed, for some reason, we can't tame this. We can't do it. That is the power of sin in our lives. And for those of us who are considered brothers and sisters, this is equally troubling because look in verses 9 through 10. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth came bl- come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So we get back to the idea here that the Christian life is about how we relate to each other, how we talk to others. It is a life of consistency. And if we're bearing the name of Jesus Christ and we come here and worship on Sunday mornings, we sing praises to God, and yet we go home and yell at our children, yell at our spouse, we insult people at work, we talk behind people's backs, we spread rumors through gossip, or maybe even try to smear someone's name, and then we're here on Sunday morning, then that should be an indication that something is not right. Something isn't right, or maybe something's askew, or maybe your faith is a sham. I don't know. We've lost control of our tongues. We've been hurt. We've hurt other people. You know, Rabbi Joseph Uh, Tolushkin, author of a book called Words That Hurt, Words That Heal, has lectured throughout his country on the powerful and often negative impact of words. In uh, uh, In his presentations, he'll often ask his audience, can you go 24 hours without saying any unkind thing about someone else at all? And invariably, a small number of listeners will say, of course I can. But the vast majority of people kind of chuckle because there's no way. They know that they can't do something like that. So, Telushkin responds, those who can't answer yes must recognize that you have a serious problem. If you cannot go 24 hours without drinking liquor, you have an addiction to alcohol. If you cannot go 24 hours without smoking a cigarette, you are addicted to cigarettes. Similarly, if you can't go 24 hours without saying an unkind word about others, then you have lost control of your tongue. And let me tell you, it's okay to grieve about that. It is okay to come to grips with where we are. It's okay to be emotional about the fact that we are not who God has called us to be. And once we come to that realization, we wash our faces and we walk in the direction of hope. And that's the third point here. Is that we need to grasp our inability to control our tongues and take hold of the remedy. This is a quick point. James has already been describing the immense power of our tongues on others and us, directs the course of our lives. It can actually direct the course of someone else's life. But in verses 11 and 12, James tells us the extent of what our tongue says about us. Look in verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So catch the subtle change that James makes here in regards to our tongue. Why can't a spring pour forth both fresh and salt water? It's because the root of a spring that pours fresh water is fresh water. A a, a spring that brings out salt water, its source, its life is in salt water. Why can't fig trees produce olives? Because they're fig trees, they're not olives. The root, the seed is what makes it, uh, what it becomes. The same goes for a grapevine producing figs. It can't happen, it can't change. You can't make a fig tree into an olive tree. An ocean can't be magically filled with, with fresh water. You can't change the makeup of a grapevine and so what James is saying to you and to me is that we have this nature about us that we can do nothing about. This nature causes us to try, among other things, to use our, uh, to use our words for evil, to use our speech for personal gain. And we can resolve to try to do whatever it is that we can And it maybe might last for a day, maybe two days if we're lucky, but in the long haul, we go back to our old ways. There is no hope in ourselves or our effort. But James knew, and the Bible repeatedly testifies to the fact that there is hope for real change in life. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus takes care of our first problem. Our alienation from God. We've used our words to hurt others, and because they're in the image of God, we've actually blasphemed the name of God. His judgment is rightly on us. Yet Jesus Christ came and lived a life which he never used his tongue for evil, not once. He was perfect in every way. He went on the cross. He was executed, though he was fully innocent. And, but it wasn't a waste because he died for you and me. It was this exchange. His death was ordained by God, the Father, to pay the price for our sin on our behalf. And so through his death and through our faith in his life, death, and resurrection, God makes his transaction We get Jesus' goodness attributed to us. And he takes the penalty for every careless word you and I have ever said. So maybe you're here today and you've realized how much your tongue has been a problem and you need help. The answer isn't going to a counselor, the answer isn't necessarily medication in the way that you talk. You need a savior who will redeem you from that nature. And that Savior is given to us in Jesus Christ. But finally, Jesus takes care of our second problem, that we have no control of our tongues. Through faith, God gives us two things. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new nature, one in which we're no longer in bondage to sin. Uh, We no longer desire it. We want the things of God. And secondly, he gives us his very own spirit, his Holy Spirit, to reside in us. And the the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is living in you if you confess Jesus Christ. And among the many benefits that come with having the Holy Spirit be indwelling in you is the fact that he gives the fruit of the Spirit, character traits that come from God in Galatians chapter 5 These are the traits. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And read it with me. Self-control against such things there is no law. And it is the self-control that we desperately need in Jesus Christ. So maybe you're here today and you've received Jesus. He is your Lord and Savior, your deliverer. You acknowledge that you have the Spirit of God living in you, that you haven't taken hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit, of self-control. Know firstly, it is yours in Christ Jesus. It is yours. And know secondly, that if we ask Him, He will provide more. He will give us more of Him. He will give us that self-control. And thirdly, we also need to know that we cannot be perfect here. You will not make 100% all the time in this, but little by little, God is making you more like Jesus if you move toward him every day. God will totally forgive you in Christ Jesus. And go to those, uh, and result of that is going to those whom you have wronged by your tongue and asking for forgiveness from them as well. We have a very gracious, merciful, kind God who has overlooked your sin of your words and given us Christ Jesus. This morning, go to him, ask for forgiveness. And from here on out, by the power of the Holy Spirit, let's watch our mouths. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we all need, desperately need help in this. Lord, we live in such a negative world. Turn on the TV right now, God, and what do we see? We see nothing but politicians slamming other politicians. How does that not affect our psyche, God? Would you help us today to rise up over the negativity that's in our culture? Rise up against the negativity that maybe we are, uh, the damage that we are creating in ourselves Give us the power of the Holy Spirit to have self-control, God, that we can live lives that are pleasing and honoring to you, God. Let us not complain, let us not grumble, but let us live as lights for Jesus here. Do that work in our hearts, we plead with you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen.